if you'll turn with me to Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, we're going to look at one verse there, and uh, that's verse number 37, Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 23, and verse 37. There the scripture says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Father, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for how it uh, speaks to us about your longing, your heart, and we pray that you'll use these moments that we have to just remind us of this... uh, timeless reality of your longing of your love that brought you here on a mission to rescue and to redeem and we pray that you'll use this time and God we pray that you'll give us uh, clear thoughts and heart God take away the impediments help us to really be able to hear from you by your spirit and your word and we pray it in Christ's name amen you know people uh, talk about I'm uh, so and so old like I'm there was no rotary or no uh there were only rotary phones old that kind of thing I'm uh I went and saw the Christmas story at the movie when it first came out old so it came out in 1983 the one with uh Ralphie's quest for the 200 shot range model Red Rider BB gun with the compass in the stock and the thing that tells time that's how old I am. My friend Trey and I went and saw it in Augusta in 1983. Who knew that it would later become the movie that uh, TNT would run for 24 hours straight every Christmas Eve so that you could uh, not avoid it even if you wanted to. But I think about um, that movie and the longing. You know, here's a kid that just wants one thing. His mind is set on one thing. And uh, I wanted a BB gun too. My dad would never let me have one until I was too old to really enjoy having a BB gun anymore, you know. But there were things as a child that I wanted. The Evil Knievel stunt cycle. I posted about that on Facebook. I don't know, you know, most people are, you know, younger than me, but Evil Knievel when I was a kid was iconic. He was a hero to people like me, a daredevil. He would jump over buses and cars uh, on a Harley Davidson motorcycle and uh, the toy actually worked just like Evil Knievel because it crashed and he went flying you know that was exactly what it was like to watch Evil Knievel or uh, electric football uh, it's the craziest thing but if you had one as a kid it was this metal field that you would turn on and vibrate and these players there was no way to control them they just went everywhere but uh, I loved it, and it was one of my favorite things. Uh, baseball, as a kid, I loved baseball, going to um, this department store, picking up leather gloves and just smelling them, you know. That was a, a baseball glove or a good football for me. I know Ralphie didn't want a football, but a good football for me as a kid was like a very, you know, A-plus toy. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking in this season, about Jesus and what did Jesus want for Christmas and of course the answer is Jesus didn't want anything because he's total and complete and entire in himself he he is not missing or lacking 
anything, but really what I mean by the title of this message is what did he intend for Christmas? What did he want for this to be? And so this message, this chapter, verse from Matthew 23, you know, came to mind for me. I think it very uh, much tells the story of what was in the heart of Jesus in his coming here, his mission, and his willingness to come here and become a man and to allow himself to later be pierced through his wrist and his feet and to have a crown of thorns twisted and placed on his brow and to humble himself in the way that he did to become a servant and all the things that we've seen already about this idea of Advent and this reality what was the meaning that he assigned to it? So in that sense, what does he want for Christmas? What does he intend for it? And I think there are uh, some truths that we can uh, understand from this verse that show us that, one, he wants us to come to him. He wants every person to come to him. That Jesus, as he thought about Jerusalem, the place where he says the prophets were martyred over and over again for hundreds and hundreds of years that the people had consistently rebelled against God's message of hope and forgiveness and everything that God purposed. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he said, how often I wanted to gather you to myself. He wants us to come to him. And you see that in the scripture in many places. He says in one place, and I'm paraphrasing and uh, Gospel of Matthew, but I think this is really what he means. He says, come to me, all you who are working your fingers to the bone to be enough. Now, I've mentioned a book I've read before where the guy talks about righteousness, and he uses the word enoughness to say righteousness is a, a sense that things are well, that enough has happened so that we can have peace in our ourself and in our life. And, and I think that's what Jesus is saying. Come to me. You're working your fingers to the bone to find enough, but enough is me. What he's already done. He says, and you're still loaded down by care and stressed out. And he invites us to come and find rest in him. In another place in the Gospels, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And so we see that the invitation that Jesus offers and what he wants, what he intends is for us to come to him. And his offer is open even now. It's not ancient or time-stamped in a sense that it's like, okay, yeah, it was an offer for them. No, it's an offer for us thousands of years later to come to Jesus. It's current and available and the good news is he's not waiting for anyone to get it together. When I first became aware of my need for Christ, I think that was one thought that I had is like, well, I'll get it together. You know, I'll start to tidy up my life some. And I did tidy up my life a little. You know, I had a friend whose uh, kid was um, playing t-ball. And I helped my friend coach his kid's t-ball team. And I thought, that's a virtuous kind of behavior this is sel less selfish than I've been in the past so I started to think about ways I might be better but it just became obvious to me over time that those were uh, self-help things and not really what I what I needed and he's not waiting for us to get it together Jesus came to us the Bible says while we were still without hope and without strength Christ came and he died for the ungodly uh, 
So sometimes we think, well, I've, once I, you know, sort of have it together. No, he's not waiting, waiting for that. He's, the old song that we used to sing, just as I am, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. That's the, the reality that we find in the scripture. Jesus' offer is heartfelt. That's what I notice in this verse, that that's the fundamental truth, is his heart breaks over the rejection that he experienced. When he came here, he experienced rejection from the people he should have known better. The most religious people of his day were also the most vicious opponents and the worst critics and the most hostile uh, opponents and so Jesus' heart was breaking over the reality that the people that he had come for were rejecting him. And I think that's still how his heart is, that he, he thinks about this world and how that people are just going about their own deal, but they don't make space for him. And it's not even about making space for him. It's about making priority of him as master, as, the, as first, as more important than anything else in the in our lives. And he's in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, it says he was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world did not know him. It says he came into his own, and his own did not receive him. And it's interesting when you look at that passage, it's, it says he came to his own things, the world that he created, the material world, the people in it. But then that's the second part. He came unto his own, his things, the, that world that he was the Lord of. And it says, but his own did not receive him. It's a whole different word. It's not things, it's people. It's personal. He came to his own things, but his own people rejected him, refused to receive him. One thing is certain, we didn't create this world and we can't sustain it. I watch people sometimes behave as if that they are the world entire in themselves. Like, I keep myself, I, I don't need anything. Of course you do, you know, and of course I do. We live in an atmosphere that's everything about what keeps us alive is literally beyond our control. The atmosphere that we're a part of, the fact that we're walking around in this body that the Bible says is fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, what a miracle it is just to be a human, to be alive, but also that we're finite and limited and made by someone outside ourselves who still cares about us and loves us and who thinks about us. That's what we see in this passage is he's thinking about us. Even the people that reject him routinely and that don't make him their priority, his heart still breaks for people like that. And so what we see first here is that Jesus wants us simply to come to him. But secondly, he wants us to be comforted by him. He wants us to find comfort in him. He, uh, it's so amazing to me, this illustration that Jesus himself decided on. He's, uh, he's like, I'm a mother hen. We don't think of Jesus as like a mother hen. But he says, that's who I am. I'm like a mother hen. And what I really want is to gather you to me and comfort you in the way and protect you in the way that a mother hen would protect her chicks. So we're chicks in this analogy, and Jesus is the mother hen. And I just think that's um, brilliant. I love uh, music by 
Michael Card. It was like, well, he was one of the first recording artists that I discovered after becoming a Christian and uh, trying to figure out what kind of music to listen to. Michael Card has a song about depression, and he has a line in it that says, that says, the very one who might condemn has called us friend instead. He says, the, there's only one person that we need to worry about, really, ultimately, what they think about us, although I do care about what other people think. But the only one that could condemn me to alienation from God has chosen instead to call me friend. And that's the idea of the passage is that he wants to comfort us. He wants, he wants us to be brought to him and protected by him. The uh, psalm writer, I love this psalm. It's part of what we, uh, the following verse from where we were last night in Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. That's God's personality and God's heart when we think about who he is. I need passages like this all the time to reinforce for me the love of God. And the scripture says this is what God is like, is that he is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. The incarnation of Christ, God putting on skin, is the most brilliant display of both his justice and his mercy. So a lot lot of times we say talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. Prove it to me. Well, God proved that he was serious about justice and mercy by putting on skin. The justice part of it is that not only was Jesus born in Bethlehem, but he continued to travel that uh, road that led to Calvary. And at Calvary, he took our punishment. And his, our, the, the just punishment that we deserved, he received and accepted. And we know that's the gospel message is that Jesus Christ died for sinners Jesus died for sinners, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and there's not one righteous. And so every one of us needed what Jesus did, and in the incarnation, God put on skin, and he satisfied the requirements of justice, and he also exhibited mercy. He showed us. Talk is cheap, but he didn't just talk, did he? He came. He died. He exhibited compassion by going all the way to the the uh, death on a cross, and then he was powerfully resurrected from the dead. And this passage shows us also that Jesus wants us to surrender, thirdly, our resistance to him. Surrender our resistance to him. Because that's what you see in this verse is that he looks at people who have rebelled and rejected, and he, he appeals to them. And then also to us throughout time and history. In the first century, Jesus wept over the widespread rejection, excuse me, he experienced among the religious folks in Jerusalem. It's interesting when we talk to people about faith in Christ that people often have impediments to belief. When we try to share the gospel with people, If you try to share the gospel with people that don't know Christ, you'll find that they have a ready list of reasons, usually that they're unwilling to surrender to his command and uh, for him to be their Lord. And 
to accept that he is the only hope of our forgiveness. And it's sometimes people will say, well, I have intellectual, uh, you know, challenges that I just can't get over or I was hurt. And, you know, a, a lot of times it's not that there aren't some, you know, there's not something for them, but the, the impediments that we have are, are the things really that I think in the, when we're able to evaluate in the end, we'll say, man, that was so satanic. It was satanic. The first century, the people that Jesus came to, Jesus cast out demons. They say, oh, he's casting out demons by Beelzebub, by Satan. Jesus uh, heals and everything that they... You remember what happened after Jesus healed Lazarus? Is that they said, this will never stop unless we kill him. That's basically what they said. This will never stop unless we kill him. How could that be? the conclusion that they reached. It's impossible for us to understand on some level that Jesus came and he says, I want you to surrender your resistance. And yet many people will take that resistance to them to the very end. I've read Dickens' Christmas Carol numerous times, and I like reading it at Christmas. I just really like the opening chapters. The rest of it is okay. And it's, very, it's redemptive, and I like a good redemptive story. But it's when we think about Ebenezer Scrooge at the very first in that, um, in that book, he ha- he's visited, of course, by his former business partner, Jacob Marley. He goes home from his business where he's in the space of just uh, less than a full chapter. He's been odious and mean and... Uh, vicious to people who need mercy, and he goes home. and the uh, The door knocker he sees his the friend that he was his business associate in life, Marley, his reflection in the door knocker, and he goes inside and, of course, has the visitation from Jacob Marley, who's bound in chains and uh, who recites for him his current reality, which is that he's doomed now to wander across the earth among the people who he might have shown compassion and mercy in his life. But do you remember uh, Scrooge's first response is that he didn't want to trust his senses. He's like a little bit of meat, or I could eat, the, I could swallow this tooth, toothpick and see ghouls and ghosts for the rest of my life, he, he says to, uh, to Marley. And he's finally convinced, but I think the initial problem for Scrooge is that he wants to hold on to the old order. He wants to hold on to the old order. And I don't think it's any different for people now. When we think about coming to Christ, I know that was certainly true for me, is that it was a while for me to think, I I just want to hold on to the old order. I want to keep my life. And the problem is that the gospel implicitly says you cannot keep your life and follow Jesus you can't if you follow Jesus you have decided to give your life up to give it away to surrender it to put down your arms and to stop being a rebel and to give up your resistance we have to be willing to release the old order and to turn our back on it that's repentance And even though God's kindness and goodness has been undeniably spelled out for us in Christ, it seems that that's still where many people are. 
the same people, or at least the way their heart is, it's, is like the hearts of the people over whom Jesus weeps in this verse that we've read. C.S. Lewis said, Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. The long, terrible history of man trying to find something other than God to make us happy. He's also probably the person that says, I didn't come to God for happiness anyway. But when we come to God, what we find is different than happiness because it's not circumstantial. What we find when we come to him is eternal hope that is transcends all our circumstances and that becomes foundational you remember how jesus said that uh he talked about his word and the gospel of matthew and he says if anybody anyone hears these words of mine and listens to them he says he'll be like a wise man who dug down deep and found bedrock a foundation and he says when the storms of life came that house stood because it was Founded on a rock. He says that if anyone uh, listens, hears his words and listens, that person is a wise person. And so even though life may throw some difficult things at us, we don't, we don't fall. We don't, we don't stumble because we know that our life is founded on this rock. There's only one way that a person's thirst can be quenched. Jesus says, anybody that's thirsty, come to me. And he, he says, I'll satisfy your thirst. There's only one way that our terrible burden can be lifted, and that's through Jesus. What Jesus wanted for Christmas is clear. Jesus wanted us. He wants you. He wants me. That's what he wanted. It's what he intended by coming and living here and having a human life and putting putting on skin so that he could bleed and die and rescue and bring us back to himself, and that's... We sing hymns like, I love to tell the story. The story never changes. It's always the same. We'll tell this very same story next year at this very same time. And guess what? We'll tell it all every week in between now and then. It's never going to change. It's the same story. And it's a story of God's redemptive love, spelled out in a manger and then through a family and then through a sacrifice. And Jesus heart is for us and we see it very vividly in this passage you probably heard this saying from augustine of hippo who said god has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they come to rest in him and that's my prayer for each of us and for the people that we love is that their their hearts will come to find rest in him father we thank you for the uh, season of Christmas. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for this story that we tell again and again, the historic reality of Jesus and his coming to us and the manger where he lay and the virgin to whom he was born and the angels that gave an account and the prophecies that have been foretold. And we thank you for our families and especially the those that are our forever family. And I pray, Father, that you'll use us as we prayed last night to be lights in this world. And uh, God, keep us like you. Make our hearts like the heart of Jesus in his longing and his desire to see everyone know you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.